Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. standing with me as we read from God's word. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. Would you reveal your heart for us? Uh, would you ignite our hearts for you? Um, show us who you are and who we are in light of that. Speak through Bren to us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. As we dig into the another aspect, another avenue of this section of scripture, um, if you did not hear last week, I would encourage you to go back and hear it. We talked about it from a very specific standpoint, but this is actually, I just want to kind of come out and say this may be a harder text for you guys today, and it may not be. The reason why I say that is because this week it was really hard for me, and so if this is just one of those times where I feel like God showed me a lot of things that I needed to remember in regards to who he is and to what it means to, to love him and to, to live a life for him. And so if this is just one of those weeks where uh, you guys just get to hear about what God did to me, I, I thank you for being here for the process. I, I don't know if it'll be hard on you or not, but either way, it was really, really powerful for me to remember a lot of things this week about this, specifically in this idea of what is worship. You know, where, where, where do we worship or, or how do we worship, right? We were just singing, was that worship? And so if you have a pen and paper or a phone, I want you to real quickly pull it out and write down your quick definition of what worship is to yourself. What, what do you believe that worship is? Write it down if you can, please. It'd be important for you to do so because I was, I was pretty shocked by the way that I wrote it down and then as I studied just kind of what God had shown me. But just take a second, write it down here. I'm going to real quickly tell us last week we were, while you're, while you're kind of writing that down, last week we talked about this, this story, the woman at the well, and he spends time in conversation with her and has this, this, this conversation that ultimately leads to her running back to town to tell everyone else that I think I've met the Messiah. Come meet him. And many people in this town coming to know Jesus, coming to faith in Jesus because of the story that happens there. And last week I challenged you guys to see if there's a people group or a socioeconomic class or a relative or a family member or a friend or a coworker that you believed had no chance in coming to faith. 
challenged you and asked you guys to go and pray with them or, or share the truth with them, that, that we're supposed to be out and, and making disciples and doing these things. And so I know many of people have had, I heard stories this week that's great. I also said that this week, out of this same story, we're going to talk about a little bit of a theology that's really important for us. And I think it's one of those things that, that this, there's many other things we could, we could study and understand, but this is one of those things that I think we have unintentionally or, or because of just the way that we use words have lost sight of what it is, which is why I asked you to write down your definition for worship. See, worship is, is something that many of you probably would, would have defined in a similar way, but all of us would have probably defined in some different way. And so I wanted to real quickly give you the best working definition I have for for worship, and it's, I kind of plagiarized it from a few scholars, put it together, and kind of made it my own. So here's, a, here's the kind of wordy version of worship. Worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by enjoying God and being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then this joyful satisfaction of God in God overflows into sacrificial praise and adoration and sacrificial acts of love and serving others for the sake of Christ. Let me read it again because it was wordy. I'm sure that's exactly how every single one of you wrote it down, right? The, the worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by enjoying God and being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then this joyful satisfaction in God overflows into sacrificial praise and adoration and sacrificial acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. And one of the things that you would never expect, actually Timothy Keller has a simpler definition. So he says it this way. He says, seeing what God is worth and giving him what he's worth. Seeing what God is worth and giving him what he's worth. Many of you, and again, sh- show of hands, if you will, if you will, you don't have to, but like how many of you put music as some form of worship? Like when you divine worship, you talk about singing music, right? Some people are like, mm, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's just a part of it. The, the real, the real de- definition of worship here is what this woman at the well gets, but I don't think fully understands, but he gets and then, and then has been preserved by God through time to show us just how valuable it is for us to understand what worship is. See, she begins the conversation. It wasn't even like Jesus wasn't even going there. He was going to her heart and working these things, although we see Jesus kind of dismantling the way that they viewed worship and the temple and everything that he's kind of gone through, the purification jars and the, the overturning the tables at the temple and, and telling Nicodemus that he has to be born again in, in spirit because you can't, you can't worship God in, in flesh but only in spirit. And so this kind of, he's, you can kind of see him working with this way, but she's the one that brings up this question. And many scholars think that she brings up this question after he says, go grab your husband. She's like, I don't have any husband. And we go through that section, right? She brings this, this subject up as a like, a, like dodging the bullet. Let's talk about more theology instead of really digging into the heart of the fact that I have had five husbands and the man I'm with right now is not my husband. But I don't know if that's necessarily true because this was the biggest question for the Samaritans and the Jews. On which mountain do we worship God? And what's interesting is both of them are trying to honor God. They're going off of the Pentateuch, the five books. The Jews obviously went to the rest of the Old Testament scriptures, but the Samaritans only took those five. But they both had in there and seen like, hey, in Deuteronomy, we will worship God in the dwelling place of God. So this is where it's going to happen. And so for each of them, they're going, am I worshiping God on Mount Gerizim in Samaria or am I worshiping God in Mount Moriah in Jerusalem? Which one is it right? So whether she's being evasive and just trying to get the theology, either way, Jesus answers a little bit here, but he doesn't really stay in it. He just kind of goes to like, no, 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 you, you missed it. True worshipers, true worshipers won't worship on either mountain. 
And yeah, yeah, the, the worship comes from the Jewish side. Like we know that the, the, the salvation is from the Jews. That's, that's that, look, I'm of the lineage of Jewish lineage. I'm coming out in this way. The salvation is from the Jews in this way. But ultimately, both worship systems, the temples, both temples will be gone. And I'm replacing something. I'm showing you something that's different. I'm showing you that worship isn't just in a place. You don't need to leave your house and walk for days' journeys just to go to this mountain to worship God. No longer, he says, the hour. The hour is coming. And he says a little bit further, the hour is coming is now here. And anytime you see the word the hour or the time is coming in the Gospel of John, it is always in reference to the cross. It's always in reference to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, look, there's a time, and it's here now. I'm here now. You can worship me now. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. These are all things he says in John. You can worship me now. I'm telling you, it can happen now. But the hour is coming when it'll all be changed when everything will be gone in these situations, these physical dwellings won't matter and everyone else move forward. And then he goes on and says, and God is spirit. God is spirit. It's not that he's, he's some flesh human in this way, which is interesting because there was a, a, a bunch of people that believed that God was spirit, so then they thought they could do whatever they wanted with the body. This is what you see in the church in Corinth and all sorts of issues there. And he's like, that's not what he's talking about. When he says God is spirit, he's not really defining a physical characteristic per se. It's similar to what is said in 1 John. God is love. God is light. God is spirit. These are just characteristics of God. But he's saying you can't worship God unless you worship God in spirit and in truth. And these two words together are really obvious to us today, but to them, this is a new thing. This is a radical way of thinking like, wait, wait, spirit and truth, what are you talking about here? How do we, how do we worship in spirit and truth? Ultimately, I think the simplest way to say that is that you cannot worship God without the indwelling spirit of God. It will be impossible for you and I to worship God without the indwelling Holy Spirit of God because we can't, apart from God, we can do no good. We are, we are incapable of doing it. Our, our best efforts are filthy rags apart from God. So it takes the Spirit of God for us to worship God. But he says in spirit and truth. Well, John 14, 6 says that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the truth. So worshiping God in spirit and truth is saying, I can worship God because I have the spirit inside of me, but I'm worshiping the truth of God, the truth of God's word, the truth of Jesus, all the things that he says. So it's not some mindless worship thing, but it takes understanding and mind and, and character and all those things. So God is spirit and truth. So then how do we worship God? How do you and I worship in spirit and truth? First, we need to recognize something. We were made to worship. You and I were made to worship, and right now you are worshiping something. We are always worshiping something. If you go back to the definition, if you're just finding satisfaction in anything, you're most likely going to start sacrificing for that satisfaction. If your satisfaction is in a job promotion, you'll sacrifice your family, your time, your ministry to get that job promotion. You're worshiping the job promotion. You're worshiping sex. You're worshiping relationships. Some of you are worshiping ideologies. Some of, you, some of us are worshiping our churches seems weird. Some of us are worshiping our kids or our wives. Look, I'll say this right now. My wife, she's amazing. I married way up. I'm out of my league, still out of my league. She's an incredible woman. She is an absolutely terrible God, horrible God, just like I am. She does not deserve my worship. God deserves my worship and God alone. So how do we then worship? We're worshiping something. We're worshiping money, sex, relationships, kids, marriage, vacation, you have your affections on other things. Your satisfaction is anything but God. You will continue to sacrifice for those things. You will praise those things. Your, eye, your minds are fixated 
on those things. Your thoughts can't get out of those things. When you're in present with someone else, all you're doing is thinking about those things. All of that that you're doing was meant to be placed on God. But we continue to move ourselves to other things. Only God deserves and can sustain worship. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 15, 9, it's not on the slides for you, he says, people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far. He says, in vain do they worship God. In zero, in vain, zero, zero do they worship God. So there's a way that we can honor God with our lips. We could sing those songs beforehand, which is worship. It's a praise is a part of worship. It is worship. It's, it's speaking out. It's saying out what is there. And we can honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far. And Jesus says that that's not worship at all. So for us to worship, it takes the inner part of us, not just the outer workings of us, not just the, the, the words that come out of our mouths. It takes the inside of us, worshiping inside. Jesus is concerned about worship that isn't just talking or singing, but one that is fully aligned with the heart, the center of who we are. In, in New Testament, whenever you see the word heart, almost always is it in reference to the, kind of the center of the whole person. It's the entirety of the person. So he wants the entirety of us to worship him. Not part of us, not some of us, but, but the entirety of who we are. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, worship in the basic sense within spirit and truth would be worshiping God with our mind, our will, and our affections. All at the same time. Affection can be emotions. And the, the reason why it takes all three is because think about it. I can, I can intellectually understand something about God that could be profound in Scripture and say, oh my goodness, this is amazing, this is so good. But if it doesn't turn into praise, it doesn't affect my will, and it doesn't even touch my affections, it's not worship, it's just information. The same can be true of an emotional experience. You can have an absolutely incredible, emotional, like tear-filled moment of experiencing God in some way, but if it doesn't convert into our will and our mind, then it's not worship. It's just an experience. We so often get mixed up in what worship is. See, I can know intellectually that God is good, but still be completely full of anxiety. I'm sure many of you understand that. You know in your head that God is good, but you continue to walk out in your life with full of anxiousness because it's not become worship. Our head needs to affect our will and our affections, our emotions. They have to be tied in. I can know that intellectually. I can worship when I realize I've been trusting in myself and not the sovereignty of God. When I pull my affections off of other things I've been trusting in, which is usually why you have anxiety. If you want to understand why you have anxiety, it's because your trust has been put in something other than God. The what if question. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? What if they take away everything? What if they force this? What if this happens? All the what if questions that everyone's been uttering for 2020 and rolling right into 2021, you know what it is? It's a sovereignty of God issue. It's a character of God issue. Your anxiety is because you haven't been worshiping. You're worshiping other things, your affections, your, your mind, your thought. Everything's being put on these things. You must withdraw. You must remove those things and put them on God. And when you put them on God, you'll be touched emotionally. Truth will affect your emotions and your will and your mind. This is what it takes to worship God. So many people, myself included, I've heard over and over and over again, I want to say this as, as gently as I possibly can because I don't, I understand that there's conscience going on in some people, but I've heard so many people use a sentence over the last 10 years of ministry. They'll say things like, I can't really worship God when dot, 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 dot. 
I can't really worship God when it's this band or when it's that music. See, they've made worship only singing. I can't worship God in this gospel community, this small group. I can't worship God that well because the teaching doesn't fit my style. I can't, I can't. I can't worship God because someone else is wearing a mask. I can't worship God because I'm wearing a mask. What have we done? We've made worship about us. It was never intended to be about us. Worship is not about me. It's about who I worship. We started worshiping the means, the how-to, and forgot who we were supposed to be worshiping, which is Jesus Christ. It's interesting. If you read the the scriptures, you read the Old Testament, and, and you continue to go through it, I always find myself baffled by the Israelites. How can you continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over again? And then I look at us today, myself, and I look in the mirror, and I look at the church as a whole, and we continually, perpetually make the same mistake over and over again. Why? Because all of us are having that question in our head right now that the woman at the well is, can I worship here or can I worship there? Which one's the right place? And Jesus is saying, it's not about the place. It's not about the means. It's about me. Will you worship me? That's what Jesus is saying, not me. Please don't worship me. Our means to worship have become unintentionally the thing we worship instead of what they were intended to do. We sing, we give, we serve, we live for the sole purposes to worship God. Your money, my money, it's not our money. It's God's. Worship would be sacrificing it over, giving it over to him. My time, your time, it's not mine, it's God's there's air in my lungs. It's meant to be serving the God that I love and submit my life to. We continually get sidetracked and make worship about what we want and how we feel. Some of us have been, like in, the, in Keller's definition there, some of us have been trying to find out worship just in our affections. We're just wanting that emotional high, that emotional moment Some of us are are, are driving ourselves to the intellectual game. We want our mind to be so fixated, but we continue to divorce those from each other as if our mind and our will and our affections are supposed to be separate. It takes all of them together to bring worship. God wants the entirety of who we are. We can't get stuck in how to worship, but instead should fixate ourselves on who we are to worship, which is Jesus. We can't get stuck in how we worship. Many of you have worshipped God for a lifetime in this way, and God has been faithful, and he's, he's, he's sanctifying you. He's growing you, and he's taking away from a season from you. He's moving in a way, and we fight it with tooth and nail because, like, no, this is how I did it before, God. And God's saying, no, no, you don't understand. It's, it's not about how you did it. It's about me. I'm doing a work in you. I'm doing something in you. Stop being fixated on the how. The how was never intended there. The people in Israel, when Moses is up getting the, the Ten Commandments, they want to worship God, so they build a golden calf. You ever thought, like, let's worship God, let's build a golden calf. Why? They, they had believed that they needed a physical image to worship God, so they made something, and it, it, it deeply offended God. He was angered by it. Moses breaks the tablets, have to do it all over again. Why? Because we continually look for ways to worship God, and we make it about the ways we worship God and not the God whom we're supposed to be worshiping. We continue to do it. You know, Jonathan's up here and like, oh, I wish he was playing keys. So Hannah's a new singer. I don't know her. Is she, can she sing or not? What are we doing? Like, we continually get mixed up. This is praise. This is singing. This is meant to be done. You look at Psalm 95 if you want to read about, like, congregational praise together. Go read Psalm 95. It's beautiful. It's all in us, we language. But we don't need it to be about how. It's about whom. It's about Jesus. One scholar says it this way. He wrestled through his Lutheran upbringing, and he was 
challenged by the evangelicals and all those other things, but he basically said this. He said, tradition is not the evil some evangelicals would think. However, tradition can give needed perspective and depth. But religious tradition can become a badge that is more important than our faith itself. I can think of coalitions, institutions, churches, colleges, even special interests that become so important to evangelicals that these items define what it means to be spiritual and we become impenetrable to the work of God, but nevertheless remain thoroughly religious. Many of us have made worship about religion and not about relationship. It's interesting, if you look at the, the Samaritan woman, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, well, here, let me help you understand exactly what the mountains mean and what those things are, because he, he could have. He had plenty of theology to share there. He draws her out of the place and draws her into relationship. He says, worship me. I'm the Messiah. Worship me. Worship me is what he does. He draws him into relationship. See, many of us have gotten this idea that worship is just singing. First off, I want to say that really clearly. It is not just this. This is not worship music. <laughs> this is praise music that can be worshipful, but let me tell you really clearly, if you're just singing words and your heart's not connected to it, it is not worship. It is just making a noise. And I'm not even sure it'd be a joyful noise because Jesus says that he wants people to not just honor them with his lips, but he wants their heart to be in it as well. Romans 12.1 says it this way. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual worship. I'm sure some of you, when you wrote down your definition, you went to that. Oh, this is my spiritual worship. What is he saying here? What he's saying here would have been absolutely astronomical scratching moment for the church in Rome. Like, urge, wait a second, living sacrifice? Hold on a second. We all know what sacrifice means. That means I'm going to go to an altar. I will be dismembered, disemboweled, and burned up, and some will eat me. And that, that like, whoa, 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 living though? Like, what do you mean? Like, over and over and over and over again? What are you talking about? That's exactly what he's saying. It's saying, you want to understand what worship to God is? It's a continuation of over and over and over living your life out in sacrifice to the God that you find satisfaction in. That's what worship is. Present your bodies means that God wants you, not just your work. He wants you. Think how wonderful that would have sounded to the Samaritan woman. I want you. You belong with me. Matthew, the tax collector, come follow me. I want you. And he said the same thing to every single one of you in this room that came to submit your life to Jesus Christ as Lord. He says, I want you. I want you. So it's not just what we say or do. It's, it's our life. It's walking it out on a daily basis. We also see in Hebrews, um, well, sorry, before we go back there, um, we see in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, whether, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all of it for the glory of God. Everything you do, do for the glory of God. Your life is a living sacrifice. That means that when you go to school, when you're eating, when you're at work, when you're at home with your family, when you're with your relatives, when you're on Facebook, when you're on social media, when you're watching the news, when you're voting, all of those things you do for the glory of God. If you are not living your life for the glory of God, then unintentionally what has happened is something is starting to seep its way in and stealing your affections. And you must remove, you must remove your affections from those things and put them on God where they belong. It's not, it's not something that just happens automatically. It's, it's intentional. A living sacrifice has to walk themselves into a sacrifice. You have to make that decision to do so. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do, 
Your life is to be marked by worship. And you're like, yeah, but, but I get so lost in, in, in all these other ways and all these things. No, no, it's sacrifice, it's obedience, it's praise, it's satisfaction. And all of those things to what? To God, nothing else. Hebrews 13, 15 says it this way. It says, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. There's our singing, but it's meant to be a sacrifice continually happening over and over and over again. Let us offer this up continually. Offer up a sacrifice of praise. That means that our praise will be costly. Think about that. To praise God is going to have a cost to it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a sacrifice. If it's not it's easy if it's not a sacrifice. If it's a sacrifice, it's going to cost you something. Everything you do in worship will cost you something. It will cost you time, money, energy, friendships, clout, reputation, potentially all things that this world wants for you to, to focus yourself on. It may cost you all of those. It will cost you ultimately all of those things because you're to worship God. He goes on and says this. He says, to, to God, that is, the fruit of of the lips that acknowledge his names. The fruit of his lips is, is this idea that we speak that which is true in us. If God is true, if, if, if you're reading God's word, and I love this, I, I mentioned this about Jonathan, he's great about this. Jonathan, wherever he's reading in the, in the scriptures, he always comes out with the fruit of his lips of that word. No matter where we are, I love this about him. It can be the most obscure text ever, and somehow he's like, look at what God has done in this text, and I love that about him. It's, it's saying that we will continue to speak. It'll be on our lips, and it'll be fruit, not poison. Not nastiness, not, not contention, but fruit. Speaking out the goodness of God's word continually over and over again. And then he says, do not neglect. Write in the same thing. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. Oh, whoa, wait. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. See what he did? He went from singing to doing and to sharing. These are what's pleasing to God. I had a mentor once tell me over and over and over again in my life. He said, anytime you see something that's pleasing to God, pay attention pay really close attention because our desire should be to please God. So what is it for you? Are you doing good? Are you sharing what you have? Are you doing all these things as a sacrifice for worship? Or is worship just what you do for a few minutes, a few songs on Sunday singing and hope it's good? And you get some kind of fun little connection emotionally, but it never connects to your will and it never ever connects to your mind. We're going to do something that I would deem as probably pretty uncomfortable for all of us in the room. So I'm just, there's your fair warning. You can get up and leave right now if you don't want to. Um, we're going to take communion. That's not the uncomfortable part. Um, but we're going to do something that I think is really, really important for us. And I want to be careful in saying this because, first off, I want to talk to those that are here that, that don't believe in Jesus or maybe are questioning or not sure about it. Um, it would be an absolute disservice for me to share with you in some way Jesus in a partial way to try and make you stomach or palate him better. It would be an absolutely atrocious thing for me to do to say, here, I want to try and dumb this message down just a little bit so that you can handle it a little bit better. No, he doesn't ask for part of our worship. He asks for all of our worship. Worship is a living sacrifice is the entirety of who you are. Jesus says, die to yourselves daily. This is what's expected of us. So even if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I don't know what I believe. I'm just telling you right now, he's not looking for a slight belief. He's looking for the entirety of who you are. He's looking for a complete abandonment of who you are, a removing of your affections on the things of this world and putting them on the God who can sustain them. That's what he's looking for in worship. 
we're going to take communion. But the other thing I was looking is that ultimately when we speak about this, and, and one of the things that, that John, the Gospel John does, he makes it a big priority of his life to say that God, that Jesus is fully God and that Jesus is, is fully man and that, that life comes only through him. But one of the titles that is only used a little bit in the Gospel of John but used all over in the other Gospels is King and in the, and in the New Testament as whole. Jesus is King. And I know King is, is different for us because many of us don't see our president as King and we're not looking at it this way. But in this day, when you, when you identify Jesus as King, what you're saying is ultimately he is and he's like has entirety ownership over you. <laughs> Anything he says and does and wants and everything, that like that's it. And so when we say that we give Jesus our lives and we surrender to him and the Holy Spirit and dwells in us, he's become Lord. He's become king of our life. Well, when you look at the word of worship in the Old Testament alone, there's a, there's a few different Hebrew words that are used. But one of the most predominant ones that's there in the Old Testament, plus in the Greek New Testament as well, is this word that translates to bow down, to prostrate oneself. You see it all over, 171 times in the Old Testament, some 64 times in the New Testament. There are other things that worship, like I said, satisfaction. We, we kind of had our definition there. But we see this idea of bowing down. Here's, here's what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to give you, if you are capable and are willing, a moment to bow down. Not to me, but to our King, our King Jesus. And here, here's why. Please hear me on this. This is not a means that I want us to start worshiping. Okay? This is not intended to create some emotional response out of you. Though if it does, please let it move into the will and to the mind. But the purpose is you can't put yourself below someone without recognizing that you are just that, below them. And the Japanese have this culture where they bow and they meet each other and they, they, they do these things. And the Japanese will do this for, they still to this day and it has so many different meanings. I was looking it up, it's like offering apologies, showing respect. Sometimes it's congratulatory. Sometimes it's telling someone, um, um, expressing sympathy. Other times it's just showing respect. But the one thing that remains true in their culture still to this day, the lower and the longer you bow, the more respect you have for the person that you believe is greater than you. And so what I wanted to do, and I know, I know this may feel awkward, but I just, for me, like I said, this is maybe just for me, and I invite you guys to join in with me. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to give us a chance to prostrate ourselves before the Lord. I wanted to give us a chance to say, God, I have put my affections on something other than you. My worship has been in how and not who. I've been working so hard at, at worshiping my family and my kids and my job that I need you to rip those things from me. I need those to be taken from me so that I can once again be empty and only have you. It's ultimately what sacrifice is. You know, the first time that the word worship shows up is Genesis 22. People worship long before that. You know, Cain and Abel are worshiping God by their offering, but th that word's not used there. How did they know how to do it? Well, they were sacrificing to God, probably because their father, Adam, who knew God face to face, knew how to sacrifice and taught them to do this. But the first time that the word shows up is with Abraham in Genesis 22. He gets up that morning after hearing God saying, hey, your son is one of your precious, your firstborn, your only son, the one you've waited for 100 plus years to get. I'm gonna need you to sacrifice him. Abraham gets up the next day, he walks with his people and he carries all the wood and everything like this and he stands there right at the end right at the beginning of the hill, and he looks to the people, and he says, hey, me and the boy are going to go up there, and we're going to worship, and we'll be back down. He uses the word worship. Now, when Abraham said that word worship, you know what he was thinking? He was thinking of dismembering his son and burning him up as a pleasing aroma to God, sacrificing his son for worship. So when we come to worshiping God, we have to recognize that there's an aspect of sacrifice. It's always used in there, a living sacrifice. 
It, it costs us something. And so when we, we, we get in a position of prostrating ourselves, I want to challenge you to get in this position, not as look at how holy I am and looking right and left and seeing if that pretty girl that you noticed here is noticing you, but to get down before the Lord and say, God, I have, I have held on to things. I have shamefully, I've wrongly held on to things. I've, I've worshipped my job. I've worshipped my wife. I've worshipped my husband. I've worshipped my kids. I've worshipped my, my finances. I've worshipped vacation. And I continue, I need you to rip those affections away and I need those to be pulled off of there and put on you. And so I'm going to give us a chance to bow now, to, to prostrate ourselves there because you can't put your face on a semi-clean floor, just so you guys know it's semi-clean, Okay without recognizing that you are at the lowest you can possibly be. And recognize that ultimately, you're in the right spot. <laughs> We're in the right spot. That, that is the spot that we belong before God. And God lifts us up and brings us into the throne room of God and says, you are my child. You are co-heir with Christ. But it's an opportunity to worship. And I understand some of us may not be capable to do it physically or comfortable in this moment, so it's not a matter of looking right or left to seeing what people are doing but I'm just going to give you guys some time to be silent. We're not going to play any music because I don't want you to be distracted. We're going to just have a nice empty room, maybe some aching of people hitting their knees on the floor. And as you sit there and your, your bones hurt and you, you realize you're, you're down in a very humble and, and vulnerable position, know that you're there in that position before God that says, I want you. I'm your father. I'm here for you. I want your worship. And I, I would even encourage you to put your palms up, hands up, as a, as, a, as a symbolism of God, whatever is in me that isn't meant to be worshiped, take it from me and replace that which needs to go there. And again, please hear me on this. Please hear me on this. Although I do believe it would be a valuable discipline in your life to spend time on your face before God in prayer, this is not a worshiping the means kind of thing. Please don't make it about this means. I'm not trying to instill in you some kind of emotional response other than getting you in a spot where you can be fully vulnerable before God and let him do what he does best. Take our affections, our will, and our mind and focus them on him. And so after that, whenever you feel comfortable, we're going to do this. Whenever you feel comfortable, grab communion. You're welcome to take it on the floor. You're welcome to get off the floor. You can get up the floor. You don't have to get on the floor. But whenever you do, feel, feel free to take communion. And at some point, we're, we're going to be open-handed with this. At some point, the band is going to come up again and they're going to praise <laughs> They're going to sing. And we have an option. We have an opportunity to let the fruit of our lips be true to what our heart is. And so I'd encourage you, whether it's on the floor, standing, in, in, in adoration, maybe it's just quietness, you can't get there, but whatever you do, please don't do this. Don't just sing the words because they're in front of you. Don't just let those come out of your mouth because that's, that's, that's worship in vain. That's zero worship, what Jesus is saying there. Let it be a cry of your heart. So wherever it is, I'm going to give you guys some time. And I understand that some of you are like, man, this may feel awkward. I'm not trying to make you feel awkward. All I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help you and myself get to a position where we remember just who we are worshiping and we forget all the how to worship stuff and just allow ourselves to be in a spot where God will speak to us and not me and not anyone else's words and not anyone's music, just God. And so we're going to turn lights down to worship. I'm going to give you guys a second to, which we should probably call Singing, sorry, that's me. Um, we're going to turn those down and I'll give you guys a chance to do this. And at some moment, the band will come back up. At any moment, you guys are welcome to take communion and the band will come up. When you take communion, just remember this. 
Communion is an opportunity for us to remember what Jesus did for us, which was the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice for us. He got you and I an opportunity to walk in this world free from the, the burden and the weight of sin because of how he lived his life and because of the sacrifice he made. And so when we partake of his body and his, the representation of his body and his blood, the forgiveness of sin that's ours, remember that he sacrificed. So when, when we think of worshiping God and we don't want it to sacrifice, we, we've missed something. So I, I'm gonna ask you guys, I'm gonna pray for us and then we will get into a moment of prostrating ourselves before the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder for me this week just how easy it is to worship silly things. God, I'm sure in a room this size, there's many people that are unaware of the things that they're worshiping. So I pray, God, whether they get out of their seats or not, I pray right now that your spirit that is alive in every believer would, would convict, um, encourage, admonish, whatever he needs to do in the hearts of every single one of us or to rip whatever is in our hands that is getting in the way of us worshiping you. God, remove our affections for something and place them on you. Pull our affections from something else and put it on you. But I pray, God, as we spend this time, God, I pray that it would be a time of us just remembering who you are, connecting to who you are, and believing, believing in our hearts that ultimately, God, you are worthy of all adoration, all praise, all worship of our lives. The will, the serving, the acts, the giving, everything, God, is yours and is done out of worship for you, not out of some silly obedience, God, although obedience can be worship. But I pray that our heart would just be aligned to you. And I pray that our acts of obedience would be not void of our affections and our will our mind. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the ability to do so. And so, God, I pray as we stand, as we, as we kneel before you, God, I pray that each of us would, would be able to have a conversation with you, God, where you cut to the heart. And we could walk, we could stand up at that moment and walk out here knowing that we are going to be more capable of worshiping you, not because of the means with which we're doing it, God, but because of the God that is so worthy of our satisfaction and our affections and everything else. And so, Lord, we give ourselves to you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to Him and that you may continue to love God 